the precious blood was half gone in the chalice. And I looked down and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm holding the blood of Christ. And I'm going to cry if I <laughs> tell you the story. And um, I remember, where else should I look? Where else should I look? But here. Mm-hmm. And I, I would catch, you know, peripherally somebody coming up and they would offer them, you know, the, the, the chalice. But I couldn't take my eyes off the inside of that chalice. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for IamHere.org. And I'm Father Mario Amore, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and today we welcome our guest, Kathy Crombie, to share her story. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be here. We're so glad to have you and get a chance to dive into your story again. Um, for our listeners to get to know you a little more, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the parish that you belong to here in Detroit? You bet. Um, so um, I belong to the Divine Child in Dearborn. It's a wonderful parish. been members there for over 45 years. Um, I'm very involved in my parish in a number of ways, but the, probably the most significant for me is by being a a lector, I guess the new word now is reader, um, at Masses. And that, that is such a privilege to do, yeah. um, not only at daily Mass, but also on Sundays. So For it's sure. a blessing. And oh, Kathy, cool. you are an artist. <laughs> I am. And uh, is is uh, being an artist your primary work, or is there other work that you do day to day? Yeah, so that's, uh, so being an artist has always been um if I qualify, the, the second job, if you will, <laughs> in many respects. So for many years, I worked in the arts. I worked at Michigan Opera Theater. I worked at uh, the Detroit Institute of Arts for 10 years. And then God called me out of that to the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And I worked 18 years for Right to Life in Michigan before I um, retired. But I've always been an artist on, uh, you know, on the, people say your spare time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did very... Uh, contemporary fiber work, which was uh, basketries that are uh, very architectural and a number of collections and taught mm-hmm. across the country. And then when I went into the pro-life movement, God called me out of that as well. He whispered, mm-hmm. it really was a whisper, and he called me into iconography. So um, nobody's more surprised than I am <laughs> <laughs> that he called me to that. But um, clearly I can see that he did because the differences between the struggles in the arts um, from everywhere from marketing your work to whatever to the difference between how God has blessed what I've done now mm. is amazing. Just absolutely amazing. How <clears throat> cool. For um, for our listeners who might not be super <clears throat> familiar with iconography and all that goes into that, can you share a little bit about what drew you to that and, and why that type of art uh, is particularly um, attractive for you? It wasn't attractive at first. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was. Um, I remember after... Um, you know, being in the pro-life movement for a while, um, and I felt God calling me back to the art world, and I didn't know what that was, and so I prayed a great deal about, what is it, Lord, didn't you just ask me to get out of, put the arts away and follow you into the pro-life movement? Mm-hmm. And um, I met with a friend that's a Catholic artist, and I was telling her about a number of things, and she said, have you ever heard of Ender's Island? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And she said, well, they have a sacred art institute there where you can go and study. I said, really? So I researched it, and I was intrigued. And the only time that I could get away, literally, was for a class in iconography. And I thought, do I like icons? Well, they're kind of strange looking, actually. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do I know about it? I know they're holy, yeah. you know. And so um, I said to my husband, what do you think? He said, I think you should go. And it was for that, that 
only those two things that that and I and I prayed about it and I thought if, well you know I'm only gonna take the workshop you know because I would tell my students when I was into the fiber arts area go and learn technique because when you learn technique you own it and mm-hmm. nobody can take it away from you and I thought well I'm gonna take my own advice and that's how it began and that was in 2005 wow. and things just kept snowballing I've God has written over more than 40 icons through me now to date since 2005. Um, several are in chapels and churches, and um, there's one that was commissioned by um, um, the Order of Malta um, that's in the cathedral. <laughs> wow. There's a life-size icon of Jesus' Divine Mercy that's at the Shrine of Jesus' Divine Mercy in, in uh, Clinton Township. Um, the one that we'll talk about partially today, the Corpus of Christ icon, um, is now uh, with Father John Ricardo. Mm-hmm. He's a steward of that, so wherever he goes, it goes. And, um, you know, stuff like that. So crazy. I mean, I'm, nobody's more surprised than me. Seriously, I'm humbled, truly humbled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, so God always uses our, our gifts and talents. And when he calls us into one uh, area of work or ministry, uh, he never asks us to leave behind uh, another. So is there an intersection between uh, your artwork and the pro-life movement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I guess when I realized that there that God really called me to the same thing is when my good friend Teresa Tamio said to me, I want you to write a, um, a chapter in my book, you know, um, about, about how God called you to, to the iconography and, and the pro- said, there's, there's a connection. I said, no, no, there's not. <laughs> no, I don't, no, T, I don't think so, no. And she said, no, I, uh, Kathy, I think there really is one. I said, I don't think so, Teresa. But, you know, God really does speak to me oftentimes when I write. Mm-hmm. speaking not audibly but but certainly I understand that it's him and so I started to write it and and I realized that <clears throat> when I was called to the pro-life movement it's all about the image of God right the mm-hmm. how we protect and defend the sanctity of human life in the image of God and what's an icon an icon is Greek for image mm-hmm. and every image every image that you write every icon that you write is the image of God it's really interesting, it, and it was like a, an epiphany for me. I sat back in my chair and went, holy cow, you know? And, and it was really, yeah, it was really interesting to me that there really was a connection that God called me, really. He does write straight with crooked lines, you know? <laughs> you know? So uh, does that make sense? I mean, it was just really profound yeah. to me, yeah. profound. And, and so Teresa, of course, you know, she's like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> she has a way of being very she direct. Does. Huh? She does. <laughs> she does. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Yep. Wow. And um, okay, so you you talked about how God has written forty icons. That's more than forty. Forty, about forty. Oh, yeah. Icons through yeah. you. So it's clear that your inspiration is coming from the Lord on uh-huh. these. But can you tell us a little bit about that process? What it's like to allow the Lord to create through you? So the corpus um, of Christ, yeah. which is six foot five. He's six foot five, and. Um, I really did pray about that because it was for the women's conference back in 2005, and we needed a huge icon or a huge crucifix because we had moved to Macomb um, Community College, their field house, and so we needed a big one. So I, this was 2005. I took the class in iconography, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing this in the book um, that the, the instructor had was Christ on the cross, and I thought, well, geez, that's really a cool one. Why aren't we doing that? You know, <laughs> so, so it's like fixed in my mind now, and I come back to the women's conference in our meeting. We've got about, I don't know, 15 women on the steering committee. And I said to them, 
I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if God wants it. I don't know if you want it. I said, but maybe I can do an icon of Christ and on the cross. And, and they're like, that would be cool. I said, but I'm not doing it if you don't pray with me. Because, and if it's not of God, I don't want to do it. And we all, we all end up praying. And I brought in a, a, a big um, tracing, uh, tracing. Um, I, I, I don't know, it's, like a, it's like a cartoon, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, an illustration okay. of, of him on the cross. And so I was projected. So the day, the day that I finally decided I was supposed to do this, mm-hmm. that we decided I was going to go, I had to attend the men's conference to help as a volunteer. And I heard the priest that was speaking say something like, you know, when God, when you hear God's voice, you know, get up and get going kind of thing. And it was like the nudge I needed to, to do this, you know. So I, um, I went to the, art, to the art store and I picked up huge drawing paper and the whole bit. And I came home and I just cleared out part of my living room because it was the only place I could really, you know, get it big enough to do this because it had to be like six, 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 five, whatever wow. it was. And I wasn't sure the, the right height, but it was going to be big because I had to go on a 14-foot cross, right? So, um, so I... I'm, I'm, I'm there, and my husband was working midnights, and he had been sleeping during the day. So he gets up, <laughs> he gets up and walks down the hallway. Here I am, <laughs> you know, with this big projector and this <laughs> tracing paper. My living room looks like really a mess. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I said, I'm going to start this corpus. And he stepped into it, and it matched. Mm. Wow. Now, if that's not Ephesians, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and he stepped right in. And I thought, whoa, okay, so we're on the right track. So wow. more and more and more and more things happen. And so um, and then you asked me a question. I see, I told you, I'd go down a rabbit hole with this thing. <laughs> Great. So um, anyway, so I worked on that, and they all prayed with me. And there was, um, now mind you, I did only two icons in a workshop. This was my third. Oh, wow. How could I boldly so think that I could do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, okay. So, and then a friend of mine, and then we figured out that I couldn't, I couldn't do it the way I thought I was going to do it. I had to actually have a cross. Mm-hmm. So my good friend, Mish Govan, mm-hmm. who was a divine child, who's in our prayer group, he and his wife, um, was a master carpenter. So it, it's a really wonderful day that we're talking about this on the Feast of oh, St. Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> Because I've always said he's been my St. Joseph. He came to my rescue, and he's done a lot of the woodwork that I need done whenever I have, you know, things done. So Mish constructed a 14-foot cross that you could break down into five pieces. And he also cut out for me the corpus that I had drawn into two sections so that we could break it down, right? Because we needed to store it or whatever we needed to do. So um, anyway, so that was part of the the first problem. And then I worked on it after that um, and just kept going and kept going. But there were all kinds of problems because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. I had to look it up. I had to, you know, figure out different things. Um, and I remember trying to figure out how to do his beard because his beard, it wasn't, this is a very Byzantine, it was a very Byzantine mm-hmm. image. Okay. And so um, I went to bed that night and, and I just tossed and turned, tossed and turned, tossed and turned. And at two in the morning I woke up and I knew exactly how to do it. And I ran downstairs, and I, I worked on it till I don't know how many hours in the morning. And it looked like, it looked, it looks like, because remember in, in the, you know, the gospels it said that he plucked, they plucked his beard. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you can see, you can see tufts. It's just, oh. it turned out so well, uh-huh. you know. So the whole thing did. And, and it fit the cross. We hoisted it up. It was just, like, spectacular. So things like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't do an icon if it's commissioned unless we pray about it first. 
Okay. I don't know what other iconographers do. This is what I do. Because if not a God, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So somebody says to me, I want you to do this. I said, okay, well, that's great. Let's pray about it. Let's see if God wants that too. So we'd pray a couple weeks, come back together. And God has said no before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not no forever, but no for right now. Um, and so we'll pray. And if God says yes, and he usually does, because it's usually for a good reason, right? Um, then they have to promise to pray with me during wow. the whole process of the icon. When we did the um, uh, service of Jesus of Divine Mercy, the, the, the icon of, of Divine Mercy for them, I told Catherine Lani, I said, if you, you guys have to pray with me, have to pray with me. And they did. And it took me, you know, it took me about a year to kind of pull everything together because it's life size, it's huge, like wow. the size of a door. And um, I remember walking to the mass a couple of times, you know, a minute or two late, and um, um, coming all the way from Dearborn to Clinton Town. <laughs> no excuses, but it does happen, right? right. So you walk in late, and, and, and I hear my name, and we're praying for Kathy Crombie. And, and so they would pray for me at every mass. Mm. As I would meet people, they'd say, uh, I'm so and so, and I said, well, I'm Kathy Crombie. They said, Oh, you're Kathy Crombie. Is that icon done yet? <laughs> oh my gosh, just waiting on it. And I said, No, we're praying for you. So that kind of stuff. Oh. And there were lots of other stories around. Can I tell you one about a lady Guadalupe that did for them? So an anonymous donor asked me to do a life-size icon of Our Lady Guadalupe for for them. Wow. And um, so I said, You know, it's hard to do. An icon of an icon. <laughs> Are you sure you're hearing God right? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, so um, let's pray about it. So we prayed and we prayed and prayed. And, and, and I figured, okay, let's, let's do this. So I got into it and I drew it. Um, and then as I was drawing it, I felt Our Lady say to me, you know what? You don't know enough about this icon. You don't know enough about this image. You think you do. But you don't know enough about me in this image to write it. So... Um, go and study. And she was right, um, because I went and studied for about four months, and I learned a whole lot that I didn't know, and what I had what I had drawn wasn't correct. Because oh. there's so much in that tunic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much in that tunic that, in, and I didn't, I didn't really kind of get it, and I thought I understood that icon. So I drew it, I, I wrote it. Um, I had traveled to, to Russia um, during that time, so I got to see a lot of icons as well, mm-hmm. you know, from the Russian perspective, came home and finished it. And then it was time to bring it to the shrine. And so they were preparing for a big event the next day, and the Archbishop, I believe, was supposed to, to, um, to bless it. So I walked in the, with that. It was wrapped in a sheet, brought her in, and brought her into this area and, and put her on a table. And, and then I unwrapped her. And, but there was about 20 volunteers there, and they all came around and were at her feet. I'm at the side, her head's up here. And um, so one of the volunteers go, oh my gosh, the, the colors on, on her tunic, they're, they're swirling, swirling down by the bicep, and, and people are going, really? And they go, oh my gosh, they are. And, they were, and apparently they moved up her tunic. Mm. I didn't see it, Catherine, Catherine saw it, 20-some people all saw it. Um, and I never felt compelled to run to the to the end or to look to see because I never saw it. Mm. But it's interesting. That's a message for me because iconography is not for me. Mm-hmm. It's not a gift for me. It's a gift It's a gift that I'm supposed to give to you from the Lord mm. for your prayer time. Mm. So these people all saw that. How amazing is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kathy, you use the language of writing an icon. 
Um, can you explain to those who might not have heard or uh, encountered that language before what that means for you as the artist? So iconography is like a language. Um, it, it's kind of like um, kind of like stained glass. You know, when stained glass was used to teach uh, people and their faith and all of that. And so iconography is kind of like that too. Yet it's it's in the Eastern Church. It's also liturgical. So. Um, you know, you'll see them on the altar. They pray with them and all of that. It's part of the whole thing. But it is a language. So so I like to refer to praying in front of an icon as like a meeting place, right? So when you go to a meeting with another person, how do you go? You prepare. You go with expectation. You, you're directly across from each other. There's nothing in between. And we're having a discussion, you and me. But you go with expectation, which is what we're supposed to do in prayer, right? Go with mm-hmm. expectation, expecting to hear from the Lord or through that intercessory um, person. And so that's what iconography is. We talk about writing. It's a language. Mm-hmm. It's, our, it's our language we're having back and forth. There's no barriers. Mm-hmm. There's, some people talk about it as a window to the, to the divine. It's more than that. It's, it's, if it's anything, it's more like a door to the divine because we step through. Mm-hmm. How beautiful it, that it relates so much to our own just reception of Jesus in the Eucharist. There are no barriers to yes. it. Um, so uh, again, a- as we kind of move our way through your story here, um, c- can you speak about just how how your artwork, your, your writing of icons, um, and uh, how does that relate? Or, or how, d- how has it affected your own relationship with the Lord uh, and, and your faith in the Blessed Sacrament? Well, again, before I take on a commission or even one I want to do for myself, I, I, I take it to the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm a, I go to most, most every day I go to Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, although I'm not sitting in adoration every day, I, I'm kind of sitting in adoration every day because I'm going to Mass, receiving Him in the Eucharist, and mm-hmm. I take that to Him. Um, there's, not, there's not one that I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has that affected me? I listen for him. I listen. I listen for his yes or his no or his maybe. Sometimes it's some. There's been a couple of times I haven't heard anything. And and in that case, when I think he might be calling me to do it, then my prayer becomes, Lord, if this is not from you, slam shut the door. <laughs> but I'm going to take the next step. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, and oftentimes I don't. Not oftentimes. When when that happens. Um, sometimes I don't know that, it, that he really has called it until the end. Mm. It's, it's like being faithful to what you think he might be saying to you, you know, but also being ready to, to, to stop if I know he's asking me to do that. Yeah. So I, I try to be obedient, um, but it can be difficult sometimes when you're not sure it's him. Sure. You know, so you do the best thing you can. <laughs> you yeah. just continue to pray. Yeah. So... Does that answer your question, Father? It does. Okay. <laughs> Beautifully. Okay. <laughs> and thinking about this corpus, the Corpus Christi icon that you've mm-hmm. shared a little bit about, um, the Lord did give you kind of a, a clear message, right, D- in um, the making of this while encountering him in the Eucharist. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so I was, uh, there was a revision to my faith mm-hmm. um, in the 1995, 1996, I was going to Mass every day and the whole bit. And yeah. so um, I had gone to Fatima a couple of times and taken a couple of pilgrimages. And so um, to say the Divine Mercy wasn't, you know, part of my, my, my daily, you know, prayers or 
I had, but it was new to me because I had learned it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had nothing to do with this mass because <laughs> I it was Saturday morning mass. I sit near the front because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> you know, you know? And um, and so it was time for communion. And everybody gets up, you know, and you go pew by pew by pew. And I'm and I'm off the center aisle, okay? Mm. So um, so I'm, I'm walking along with everybody else and kind of have my head down a little bit and praying. And the people ahead of me are all moving towards the Eucharist. And I hear this old man yell out, Divine mercy. I mean, loud, divine mercy. And I popped up looking around, and and I see nothing. I see nobody that I would consider to be an old man in my general area. I don't see anybody reacting like me. And I'm shocked. I'm stunned because yeah. I'm telling you, I heard it. And... Yeah, I thought, okay, what was that? you know, you you don't know what to make of it, yeah. you know, and you're 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 in a group of people and you're still moving. So I just um, I just put my head back down again and started praying and started moving again, and I heard it again, divine mercy. This man was yelling, seriously, I would have to be deaf <laughs> twice not to hear him. Wow, he was that loud. Yeah, and I'm looking. And nobody is reacting like me. Nobody. Nobody. But that voice was coming from the area where the priest was standing. We had a Eucharistic Mm -hmm. minister here and a priest on on the left side of the center aisle. And and, and clearly that's where I looked up first and that's where I looked. And there was nothing except the priest going, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. the body of Christ. So I received and I went back to my pew, and I sat there, and that's all I kept hearing is the priest going, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And then years later, you know, the whole story with the corpus started to happen. Wow. You know, and I started working on that. It was all about the body of Christ. And while I was working, I kept hearing in my head over and over again, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And and it was so it was so often that I actually in pencil on the back of that icon wrote the body of Christ, <laughs> you know. And I don't remember if I, you know, put preservative over it or what, but it, but it's there, it's there. And so um, that to me was so phenomenal. And I really thought that was you know, you know, the whole part of the whole story. But anyways, to make a long story short, so that icon then. The corpus itself ended up was going to be in a um, it's Saint Anastasia actually, in the uh, chapel that they were building okay. for Eucharistic adoration, and it was supposed to go up on the main wall, um, but it turned out that he was too big, six foot five was too big, so he wasn't going to be on that wall, but on a different wall, which mm-hmm. is great, but instead, what did they put up there? But a, a, a hand painted image of Divine Mercy um, that. Um, I suggested as an artist, oh, wow. <laughs> oddly enough, and that went up there, and it's beautiful, it's striking. So um, I thought that was the answer to the whole thing, right? So I tell I tell Father, um, that's that's the deal, right? And so I brought him a letter because I was so sure of it. <laughs> until 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 the icon of Jesus' divine mercy came, wow. and to me, 
that was the culmination of it, because that's where it all comes together, right? All of it, the body of Christ, he gives us divine mercy, you know, blood and water, all of that. It's just like so perfect. It's like, oh my gosh, Lord, I, I can't write this stuff, you know? Right. It just happens. Yeah. But it takes time. That's the other thing. We all want immediate answers to what God, we think God is asking us to do. Mm. But he doesn't always give us immediate answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's so beautiful about um, just the opportunities that we have to pray. Mm -hmm. And especially when we go before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament in times of adoration, many times when we go, we might feel like something's not happening or God's mm -hmm. not speaking. Um, and many, uh, many spiritual writers would say, you know, they would give the advice to people to, to journal after mm -hmm. Eucharistic adoration. And, and in doing that, um, just kind of, kind of writing down what happened and, and what, what your feeling was um, and how you thought God might be speaking to you or not. And it's amazing to, as people go back to those times, recognize what had happened during that time affected something Absolutely. much later. Absolutely. Um, and uh, as is uh, uh, testified to just in your own story, like how God might give to us a word or an image mm -hmm. or um, just an experience of him that in the moment we're not quite sure maybe what it means or what it's meant for, but how God gradually reveals that we can look back and say, oh, yeah, that's that's what he was preparing me for. Those are awesome times, too, yeah. when you see that. It's like, it really is an epiphany moment. I mean, it's like, yeah. holy cow, the light goes on. Just like when, when Teresa said, write about, you know, the, the image in, in, you know, the iconography in, in your, your pro-life stuff. And it's like, mm -hmm. no way. There it was. It was, like, mm -hmm. beautiful. So, yeah, and writing is amazing. I studied with Father John Harden for mm -hmm. a couple of years, and he used to say that, that when you journal, when you write, it's like the eyes of your soul. He says, when you put that word on the paper, if it is one word, he said, you got to deal with it. You, you know, and the bottom line is he's right. You either have to look at it and do something with it, or you have to erase it. But mm -hmm. you have to do something with it. Yeah. So you don't forget, and you and you you can write. Mm -hmm. I, I love to journal because that's how I remember things. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. If, if you don't do it, it's a fleeting moment. It, it's gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does your um, so as you go to mass or as you spend time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, mm -hmm. um, we try to give inspiration to people who who are listening to the podcast or ideas of what time in adoration might look like or what you feel is most just beneficial to you. For some people, it's just sitting there, mm -hmm. you know, in the presence of the Lord. For others, it's having that time, but also spiritual reading. What what, what does your time in adoration look like? So, um, you know, I'm a doer, <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to relax. Mm -hmm. um, and in the way I find that I can do that, because I'm not really good, you know, Lexio Divina, people talk about, you know, putting yourself in the moment and all that. And and you'd think an artist would be good at that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not. Um, but what does what does it for me is writing. Because mm -hmm. I, I have to deal with what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And as I sit in front of him, you know, you know, he's speaking to me through the words that I write. I said before that I, I often see what he wants or, or, or I would see him or he speaks to me as I write. And it's true. Mm -hmm. Even even the article when I wrote this thing for you know the article for I am here, mm -hmm. I know the story. How do you make it more succinct? How do you pull it in? And when you do that, when you write like that, it draws it all together, and you have a nutshell, right? Yeah. Of of exactly what it is that happened. Right. So I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity that I got a chance to write that. Um, 
and, and a privilege to be able to come and talk about this. Um, but writing for me, journaling for me, is key. And when I journal, um, you know, the Lord speaks to me. I will say that I also handwrite <laughs> terribly now. It's gotten worse with the computers and stuff. But I think faster than I can write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have my little tablet and my keyboard. And if I can get comfortable in church, mm-hmm. someplace where I'm not going to bother anybody, I'll just type away and my fingers fly. And it comes from, from the head through the fingers into the, and then it's on the paper yeah. or it's on the, it's on the computer. And now I have it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. does that make sense? It's, it's like, yeah. it's like I can type faster than I can write mm-hmm. and I think faster than I, I actually handwrite. Yeah. So I miss it otherwise, you know, and then I can't read my writing after a while anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is so bad. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I, so I want to um, just hear a little bit too more about um, your experiences in receiving the Eucharist. You talk about this link that you've kind of seen come to life between Jesus' divine mercy and receiving him in the Eucharist. Can you share um, from, I mean, day to day and Sunday to Sunday, what it's like for you to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament um, and and what kind of thoughts, inspirations are, are stirred up in you um, in that in that terribly intimate moment? Yeah, it is a terribly intimate moment, and, and, I, and I, I work hard at trying not to take it for granted because when you go every day, right, um, how do you remember that, that it, this is special, this is a privilege, this is, this is not something that uh, you take lightly? Um, I work at it. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. I, you know, you listen to the gospel, you listen to the readings. You try to, you try to put as best as I can, put myself into that. What is, what does the Lord have some? What does He have to say to me today? Because that, that gospel message is for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I, I try to, I try to ponder on that if I can. Um, and it becomes part of the mass, part of my experience. The Eucharist is part of all of that. I, I guess I can't distinguish it, other than the fact that it's 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 all one. Mm. In receiving Jesus is the is the culmination of that, mm. that's that sacrifice, right? Um, so it's special. It's always special. There was a time I, I was a Eucharistic minister for a while, or extraordinary minister of the Eucharist. Thank you. I won't find out the difference. Um, and um, I had the precious blood. And not everybody receives the precious blood, right? So um, I, I was standing off with it. And th- the precious blood was half gone in the chalice. And I looked down, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm holding the blood of Christ. And I'm going to cry if I, <laughs> I tell you the story. And um, I remember, where else should I look? Where else should I look? But here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I would catch, you know, peripherally somebody coming up, and I would offer them, you know, the, the, the chalice. But I couldn't take my eyes off the inside of that chalice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was um, breathtaking. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, thank you so much for sharing um, that powerful uh, experience and and just. Um, 
a little bit more of your devotion. I just would love to hear uh, just one last question, a little sure. bit more about um, how the Eucharist informs your art today. And it's clear you have such a beautiful devotion to him receiving Jesus every day. Um, how is that continuing to affect um, you know, what, what you are doing and making as an artist? Mm. Well, the Eucharist is the body of Christ. Every icon that I create is in the image of the body of Christ, whether it's St. Catherine of Siena, whether it's, you know, St. Saint, Saint Father or more, <laughs> whether, whoever it is, you know, it's, it's all about the image of Christ. And so it, it's, all the, it's all the same. It's the body of Christ, and, and he allows me to immerse myself in his body. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm the vessel, right? He's the artist. He's the divine artist. He writes through me. He paints through me. Um, and I'm just the willing vessel. I mix the paint and I hold the brush, and he does the rest. And when I get stuck, I go to him and I pray. What do you want? And um, those some there's some difficult moments, and the and the people that are with that are praying with me, I'd say to them too, um, I'm having trouble here. We need to go before the Lord and pray, and they do, mm-hmm. and um, that's the only reason I'm I'm able to do this, because you know, you know I I know I have artistic talent, but how do you do a six foot five icon of Jesus? after only doing two icons in a workshop. Now seriously, how do you do that? You don't. Mm-hmm. How do I know it's him? Because <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> that's, that's how I know. D- it, I'm just reflecting on just the humility you know, of being, of being an artist. I think um, for, for people, for artists who, uh, for art is their work, mm-hmm. um, it's about using their gifts and talents and, um, you know, like having people know who they are so that mm-hmm. they can get their next project. Um, just re- reflecting with you, like I, I've, I've been in the cathedral, you know, I, I live there and I've seen, I've seen the icon and I didn't know it was yours. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in different places as well. And, and that's, that's probably how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and how you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so um, just thank you for, for answering that that call just allowing god to use your gifts to give us an image uh of him um and and to just having other people (laughs) yeah just encounter him um because of your listening and because of your prayerful heart and spirit um others are being able to be drawn into deeper prayer and relationship with the lord and so uh just thank you so much for that oh my pleasure i just was as you brought that up just one other thing so Iconographers, iconographer meaning icon, image, grapher, writer, somebody who writes images. So iconographers don't traditionally sign the icon. They don't sign their work, mm-hmm. which I think is incredibly liberating. Because <laughs> in, in the other art field I was involved in, it was all about who did this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about did, do you have this one in your collection or so on. And, this, and then in iconography, it's not like that at all. That to me is like awesome. I. It's so cool. I, 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 I'm, I love it. Wow. I just love it. My father didn't love it. He wanted me to sign everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this, this, this works out just fine. Yeah. Well, praise 
God. Thank you so much, Kathy, oh, for your yes to the Lord and um, for being willing to share some of your story here with us. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. And we also invite you to share your story with us. I Am Here is a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hallow App in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.